All right, I am by no means a master woodsman. Our very own Jonathan Bowling, he has some impressive skills in this area, but I, I don't. But one thing I know from experience is cutting along the grain is a lot easier than cutting against it. Uh, so if anybody has done like wood chopping, we see here it's going along the grain. Like whenever you chop like that, it just they, they, they fall apart. It's, it's a lot more simple to do. However, cutting against the grain, sorry, I think uh, may I'm messing with you there. Sorry about so, so So cutting across the grain or against the grain, you have to cut every single piece of wood, every little grain that you see in there. And that's why it's so hard to chop down a tree with an axe. If you take a chainsaw, it's a little bit easier, but with an axe, it is super difficult. Jesus came to earth as truly God and truly man. And the world had become so legalistic, the Jewish world had become so legalistic at that time that there was plenty of things to go against the grain, plenty of legalistic rules and guidelines that needed to be chopped down at that point. And Jesus continued chopping against the grain with the acts of truth. He, he continued fighting against legalism and self-righteousness. And the account we have today is all about grain. No, it's not about the grain of wood, but it is about grain nonetheless. So join me as we read our account for today. We're in Luke chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, please open it with me. If not, it will be up on the screen. All right, on a, on, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And he answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him? And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for allowing us to come together today to worship you. God, thank you for your word that we get to, to learn about. Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds and anything that may be hindering us today that we're able to throw it, throw it away. They're able to clear our minds and help us to receive your word with a clear mind and an open heart to receive it. Lord God, we know that your word, it, it's tough sometimes on us. It, it does bring about conviction. And I thank you that you've changed my life so much through your word, through your Holy Spirit, using your word to penetrate my heart. I know that my ways are, are not holy, but your ways are. And God, I pray that each one of us here, we seek your ways and not our own, that we're humble, that we realize that we are all sinners, but Lord, that we have a glorious Savior, and help us to become more and more like you, help us to learn about you. We love you, Lord. Amen. So today, today we're going to see three aspects of Christ's Lordship, and the first one is Jesus is Lord over the law. Jesus is Lord over the law. I'm going to reread the first two verses again. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? So I'm sure a lot of you, as you read this passage, there's one thing that just is glaring that, I don't, that the Pharisees don't mention, that people today, not understanding Jewish culture, are kind of like, 
There is a captain obvious issue here, Pharisees. What are you missing? They're stealing grain out of somebody else's field, right? And I mean, most of us, if we don't know the Old Testament law, we're like, Pharisees, like you're missing the big picture here. They're in somebody else's field and they're stealing. Like, why aren't you hitting them there? Yet the Pharisees know that that is not what is actually happening. Deuteronomy 23, 24, and 25 says this, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes as many as you wish but you shall not pick, put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So hospitality of this sort was understood and actually was even law for Israel at this point. So the disciples aren't stealing. I know that may be the first thing that we may think in our culture today. There wasn't a, a gas station or a, a fast food place they could go through on the way from one place to another. So this was a common grace thing that was offered by God. I mean, just how merciful is God that he would think about this, that, that he would say, hey, you all need to be willing to share, and I'm going to make it a law, because guess what? I know your hearts, and you're not going to share unless I make you, and so he does this, and he provides common grace for all those there. So what they mention is that the disciples are, are, of Jesus are plucking the grain and eating it on the Sabbath, and they claim that what is occurring is not lawful. The Pharisees are claiming that they are lawbreakers, and Jesus needs to intervene and handle his disciples. They, a rabbi or a teacher was responsible for their disciples in a way, and what they did reflected on them. But the question is, whose law is being broken here? They're going to quickly find out that Jesus is Lord over the law, and he is the only lawgiver. He is Lord, of the, Lord over the law, and he is the only lawgiver. You see, Mosaic law did not forbid what the disciples were doing. This was not a Mosaic biblical law issue for them to eat when they were hungry. It's entirely lawful for them to glean in this field with their hands as long as they didn't use tools to do so. The laws they were breaking were none other than the legalistic additions that the Pharisees and religious elites had added to the law. Uh, so the Pharisees had determined that picking the grain was the equivalent of reaping using a tool. Uh, they, they determined that rubbing the husks together to get the edible substance was the same as threshing, where they would throw it up, and throwing the husks away was the same as winnowing. So they had taken a giant leap and said, hey, oh, these are some new rules that they had added, and that they were doing that. Because they exalted their own opinions and regulations greater than that of the law of God, they were infuriated the disciples and Jesus were not obeying their commands and their laws. So first, I, I want to take a step back. Like, isn't it amazing that they showed up in this field? Like, I mean, we just see them show up time and time again. They're like these little evil detectives that are just stalking Jesus. And so I think we need to take a step back and be like, God, you are gracious and merciful. Like, how did you not just call fire down and be like, boom, you're dead. I am done with you following me around. You know, it, it's just amazing that Jesus is so gracious and merciful to even answer these questions and deal with this. But just amazing that they were not, you know, always following around. But I think uh, to, in order to understand the culture that Jesus is in at this point, I think it's really important for us to understand some of the Sabbath laws that we see in the Talmud and Mishnah. Uh, and, and many of these, uh, I, I, I've gotten some of these from a book by Edersheim uh, called The Life and Times of Jesus Messiah, uh, Jesus the Messiah. And, and these are some of the rabbinic documents that, that describe ordinances and, and details from that time period. So here's just a few, and I think you'll maybe get a little chuckle, a little kick out of it, to be honest. So the first one is traveling more than 3,000 feet from home was forbidden unless you had placed food 
at the 3,000-foot point before the Sabbath, because you couldn't cook on the Sabbath. But if you did that, then you'd get another 3,000 feet added to your account for that day, because it is now considered a home, and you could go another 3,000 feet. Or, or you could put a rope across an alley, you know, far away from your house, that could be now considered the entrance door to your home, so you could have gone, gone you know, however many feet, and then that's where your 3,000 feet can start. No fire could be lit or put out. That could be dangerous. I hope you don't have a fire department. I guess they're closed on Sunday. Um, warm water could not be poured into cold water. Or sorry, warm water could be poured into cold water, but you couldn't do the opposite. You couldn't put cold water into warm water. Not sure why. Bathing was forbidden, so kids, don't be taking notes and be like, I don't have to take a bath tonight. But, you know, I, heard, I heard Pastor John say bathing was forbidden on Sundays. If you don't like baths, you can't use that as an excuse. It's not a real law of God. It's a law of man. And then you could carry enough ink in order to write two letters of the Hebrew alphabet, but no more. I'm not sure where two letters came from, but I guess you could. And then here, here's a good one. You couldn't pick up your clothes and shake them out. Like, think about it. We, they didn't have, you know, nice insulation like we have where we keep most of the bugs out. Like, they, they you know, didn't have the greatest of, they didn't have spray foam insulation. You know, that, that wasn't what, the, what they were looking at. So, you know, sometimes you'd pick up your clothes and there'd be insects or something like that, or maybe a snake, you know, something like that in there. And so, so you would shake your clothes out to make sure you didn't put that clothes on with something else. You know, you, you wanted to be the only person or the only thing, the only, you know, you, you, only, you don't want anything else in your clothes other than yourself. You know, that you just don't want that. But they could not shake them out on the Sabbath. They had to take that risk because if an insect fell to the ground and died, that was work. You, you just did. You killed an insect. So, I mean, you know, so if anybody kills an insect on Sunday, I don't know. I mean, they might come get you. Here's another one. If, if, you, if you toss an object up with one hand and you catch it with the other, blow, blow, blow the whistle. I don't, don't want to do too loud because i got a microphone here. But, you know, and, and I, I, picture, I picture this like this. They were like referees with a whistle. Violation! There! Oh, personal foul! You know, five-yard penalty, or, or, you know what, that, uh, you know, here, here's five fouls, you're out of the game. You know, I think, and, and I almost see them like this picture right here where they have a group of NBA refs, and if you've ever watched an NBA game, a lot of times, like, they just get to the point where, like, what is the rule? You know, like, somebody calls something, they got to get together and be like, I don't know, I don't, was, is this the rule, or is, and, like, they're pulling out the rule book trying to figure it out because NBA rules are just so complex. Sometimes there's these weird rules, you see this NFL, too where they don't even, the, the refs who are professionals, who study, they study the book, quote-unquote, the rule book, they still don't know a lot of times what the actual rule is, and that's kind of where these Pharisees are. Like, they just, they, they're, they're, they have the whistles, and they're blowing the whistles. And this really reminds me of, uh, have you ever played a game with somebody who changed the rules, and maybe they knew rules that that, that, that you didn't, and now I, you, you don't actually have to audibly let us know who this is, and, and please no finger pointing, they'll get kind of awkward, uh, you know, with, with this, um, but, but I'm sure we all know somebody who may do something like that, where the rules may change midstream, or, or a rule comes up that nobody else has ever heard before, but they know it, and now all of a sudden you played this game 25 times with them, but now this new rule's there, that's kind of like the Pharisees, I mean, it's kind of like playing Uno with somebody like this right here, you know those write-in cards, you know, d don't fall down the stairs or you have to draw 25 cards, you know. I mean, you don't want to play with that guy. You know, they just, they just write things in the middle of the game, and, and now here you are like, what, what, you know. And if you're somebody like me that may fall down the stairs sometimes, you're drawing 25 cards and the game's over for you, you know. So this is what the Pharisees had done to the Sabbath. They just kept writing in their Uno cards and throwing them out there. And here's the thing, nobody else knew what the rules were. 
You know, there were so many that even the refs, even the refs had to gather together and be like, okay, what was that rule? And here's the thing, I'm going to probably break that rule, so how can we make this? Oh, yeah, put some food there, and you can go an extra 3,000 feet. They, they just kind of fudged the numbers. They would add a little bit so that they always knew what it was that would keep them out of trouble. So the Sabbath had been given to man as what? A blessing. The, the Sabbath was supposed to be a blessing, a day of rest, a day of worship to the Lord. And they had turned what was a blessing to probably the most dreaded day of the week. There was this complex web of rules, a game that they could not win because there were new rules coming up all the time. And it was a day that they were like, man, I don't even, I'm not ready for Saturday's rough. Like, let's, let's just skip that day and let's go, go to Sunday at that point. Because the Pharisees, they knew all the cards. Like, they, they knew, don't fall on the stairs, you have to draw 25 cards. They, they knew that one, so they really, they, 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 they got the handrail, and they made sure they didn't fall down the stairs, because they didn't want to draw 25 cards. They knew all of those, and if there was a rule they couldn't keep, they added a new rule that negated the other one and gave them a little room to fudge. But as I've, I've already alluded to, Jesus is Lord over the law. They had no right to do that. They had no right to be those people, and they had put this burden on the backs of the people. They had no right to do that. And, and this, is, this is how the people felt as they walked around. You know, God gave laws that made sense. You know, for the most part, I mean, when you look at them, I mean, sometimes we can't put ourselves in first, you know, first century Judaism or, or BC Judaism, Mosaic Judaism. We, we, you know, we have a hard time understanding some of those in our contextualization today, but most of the laws, they made sense. Like, don't glean, let, let people glean in your fields when they walk through. Uh, don't go to the very edge so that, that people who are indigent can take some food as well. Those were great rules and laws, but the Pharisees had just continued to pile them up until that's how people felt as they walked along, especially on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath. But we know that Jesus is Lord of the law, and to illustrate this, he shows that he is Lord over the loaves. Jesus is Lord over the loaves. For those of you who may not be quite as quick at, at picking this up, picking up metaphors, the sermon title was Going Against the Grain, and, and we started off with grain, and now we're with bread. So bread is made from grain. So just want to make sure we're all on the same page as we enter the second one, that I haven't lost anybody yet. Still trying to figure out, you know, we started with wood. I know that kind of confused a little bit. All right, let's go ahead and get into verses 3 and 4. And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. So to understand this, 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 this uh, thing that Jesus is alluding to, these accounts, we've got to go back to Exodus 25, 23 through 30, and Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. I'm just going to kind of summarize it for you, because it's a decent bit of scripture to cover. But, but this mentions uh, the, these two rows of six pieces of bread apiece. 12 loaves total. And they were made with two-tenths of an ephah of flour. They were sprinkled with frankincense, which obviously we know in the New Testament that's a very important uh, fragrance to, to God as it's a gift given to Jesus. We see this as an important fragrance to God in the Old Testament as well. And these loaves would be replaced by Aaron and those who came after Aaron, the priests, every week. And they would be placed just in front of the Holy of Holies. Remember last week we talked about the veil of the temple torn in two, Easter, you know, you know after, well, actually, it was Good Friday. Uh, how, how, the, how the temple, the veil was torn in two, and now we were able to approach God through Jesus Christ without a priest, and how amazing that was. And this bread would be eaten in the confines of the sanctuary only by the priests. The priests alone were to eat it. 
And these loaves were to symbolize the covenantal presence of God, the bread of the presence. God is with us, you know, almost like Emmanuel, God with us as Jesus came. Well, this was the presence of God with Israel, and it shows that God is their sustenance. He was their provider, and that they were entirely dependent on him alone. As we've been going through growth group, we saw uh, Brother Jim talking about, you know, manna falling and, and quail falling, from meat falling from heaven, and, and he proved to them that they were entirely dependent on him. So now that we understand what, what the bread of the presence was, now we'll see the other scripture that Jesus alludes to. Uh, there's a, a table with the bread and a, and, a, and a diagram there. But if we go to uh, 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6, David's just been warned by Jonathan, Saul's son, that Saul's going to kill him. He's taken him out. Saul obviously wants to keep his kingly line. He wants Jonathan to be king. God has already anointed David to be king, and it took a while before David took that um, as David continued to grow and, and, got, and God's sovereignty. It took a while. But at this point, Jonathan just said, hey, David, you got to get out of town because Saul's coming after you. He's going to kill you. And so David and his men are fleeing for their lives. Obviously, they don't have time to pack up everything that they need. It's almost like, you know, like the Passover. They just had to take off. Um, but at least God would give them a little heads up ahead of time. But David and his men, they don't have tons of provisions. It's not like they've got a bunch of bread and different things. And, and so they're, they're practically starving by the time they get to Nob at this point. And they're hungry. And so verse 20, or verses 3 and 4, we see this. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. This is the bread of the presence if the young men have kept themselves from women. So the only bread available here is the bread of the presence. So here we have this predicament. We have a very difficult situation. We have this bread of the presence, which the law, the biblical ceremonial law, says only for the priests, and they can only eat in the sanctuary. Super specific. But we have men that are starving at this point. We have men, uh, the anointed king of God, uh, who, in essence, would the great high priest, Jesus Christ, would come through from the line of David, him and his men are starving. And so what, do the, what does the priest do? Verse, verse 6, So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. For those of us who are rule followers, this account just got really uncomfortable. I'll be honest. Working on this sermon this past week was super uncomfortable. Because here's the thing, God desires and requires obedience to his law, to his word, to his commands. And so we don't want to go off on the rails here and go all liberal church and say, well, there are suggestions. You know, the word of God gives suggestions. So I really had to pray a lot about how do we, how do we tease this out with Jesus bringing up this incredibly difficult passage. It's Jesus himself bringing this to the ultimate rule followers and rule makers, but rule followers, the Pharisees. And he's bringing this account up. And so although it wasn't listed that David and his men could eat of this bread, God obviously approved of it. He didn't strike them down at that point. And Jesus now is mentioning this as something that was okay at that point. And we're like, wait a minute, you said it wasn't okay. Now you're saying that it may be in this situation. And here's the thing, God does desire complete obedience. But how can we understand what happened in light of God's commands. Matthew clears this up for us a little better, I think, in a parallel passage, same account. He says this, Matthew 12, 7, and if you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. And so, quoting from Hosea 6, 6, Christ reminds the Pharisees that God has a command of mercy as well. 
So yes, God's law matters. God's commands are super important. John 14, 15, as we already mentioned last week and uh, the week before probably even in, in, in growth group, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Absolutely, we show God our love for him by obeying his commands. But we are not being obedient to God by ignoring a starving man in front of us in order to be ceremonial clean, ceremonially clean. If it's on the Sabbath and you have somebody beside of you that needs something, and you refuse to help them because it's the Sabbath and I'm not supposed to do any work, shame on you. You are not of your Father. You're not being like Jesus Christ because He does not call us to cold-hearted and callous observance of rituals and ceremony. He calls us to love our neighbor as oneself. And so I want to kind of put this on a little different spin to put ourselves in this situation too. So to help us understand how God works in our lives and how He has taken the law and fulfilled it in a different way. So we aren't supposed to go to heaven. We aren't supposed to be able to go into God's presence through prayer. Like, we deserve hell. Like, that, that's what we deserve because we are all sinners deserving of that. But because of the great mercy of Christ, He intercedes for us on our behalf. He paid the penalty for our sins. We can do both of these things through repentance and faith. So don't hear in this passage that Christ is saying that God's commands are not important. We know from Christ's mouth that they def definitely are, that we show him our love by it. I really like what John MacArthur does in summarizing this point as well. The point of this account, which was lost on the Pharisees, was that mercy, compassion, and human need were more important than rigid adherence to even biblical ritual and ceremony. You know, we need to follow the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God never contradicts the Word. And if you look, what happened was not a contradictory thing of God's Word. Yes, the law said this, but the law also said that we're to have mercy and compassion to other people. And, and God will sometimes, a certain scripture will rise above it in a certain situation. The Holy Spirit will help you do that. Now, don't just say, hey, I'm going to go and just do something completely counter-scriptural because Jesus said it was okay, and you have no scriptural reference for what you're doing, that's a problem, and we need to avoid that side. And this is why people like me get really uncomfortable talking about this, because it's like, oh, I don't want to give people a license to sin and disobey God and do whatever. But we know that God is a God of mercy. He is a God of love, and we need to show mercy and love as well. One other understanding we need to glean from this reference that Jesus brings up to David is that Jesus is called the son of David, multiple times, right? I mean, you see that throughout the Bible, that Jesus is the son of David. Yet, so Jesus came from the line of David, yet Jesus is far greater than David. And if David himself is allowed by God to eat what was unlawful at the time because of his starvation, was able to eat of the bread of the presence, how much more can Jesus and his disciples do what is actually lawful? They're not even breaking the law. How much more can he do that? Jesus is Lord over the law, and he's Lord over the loaves, Lord over the standing grain. And finally, we see the last verse here. Jesus is Lord over the last day. Verse 5, And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. I want us to start this section off by discussing the word Sabbath. So we're going to start at the end and kind of work our way back. The Sabbath was given to Israel as the last day of the week, or Saturday, this was given in Exodus 28 through 11. I'll go ahead and read it to you. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant <coughs> or your livestock 
or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. In further understanding, we see that the Sabbath, as it's mentioned here, goes back to creation. Genesis 2-2, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So the Sabbath was a very special day given to Israel. And in verse 5, we, we see here that Jesus claims to be ruling over this day. And in doing so, we, we see a name that we've seen one other time in this book, and we're going to see a lot of times throughout this book and others, the Son of Man. And we saw it in Luke 5.24, and now we're seeing it again here. And as we mentioned in, in chapter 5, whenever we talked about this, this is actually a messianic term that we get from Daniel 7.13 and 14. And this actually occurs 82 times in the, uh, in the Gospels and in the New Testament. And all but three of those times come from Jesus' mouth. So this is his favorite, although it's his third most popular title in the New Testament, it's his favorite. So when he refers to himself, son of man, son of man, son of man, it's what he seems to say. Uh, the most common title for Jesus is Christ, and people even think that's his last name. His name was Jesus Christ. No, that was not his actual last name. Christ is a Greek translation of Messiah, uh, if we're looking, which means anointed one. And that, that title we see 533 times, which is why we think that Jesus' driver's license, or his camel driver's license, said Jesus Christ. Uh, it, it did not, in case you're wondering. Um, he probably didn't have to have a license. Sorry. I hope, hope I didn't confuse any of you. Uh, the, the, the second most common uh, name for Jesus is Lord. And this, we see this a lot of times uh, said in the New Testament. Not all are meaning Lord as, as we see uh, Adonai, which is the name for God, which means master, and uh, the Hebrew name for God, which means master. But, but we see this, and we actually see that word here as well. He is the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so I, I think it's really important to understand that Jesus did something big here. Jesus just called himself God twice in one verse. He is Lord, and he's the Son of Man, both messianic terms. And we mentioned that the Sabbath found its origin when? Creation. So he's not only has said he is Lord, he's the Son of Man, which are both messianic terms, but he's Lord of what? Sort of the Sabbath. If you are the master of something, that means you created it. So he is saying, hey, it's mine. I made it. I'm the master of this domain. So we understand the magnitude of what Jesus said. He's really said, maybe even in three ways, to be honest, that he is God, that Jesus is God. He looks at these religious leaders who have dared to make their own rules on his day, on the day he created, and he looks at him like, who do you, who do you think you are? Like, wh who do you think you are trying to bring this to me? And because Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath, we celebrate the Sabbath not on Saturday, but on Sunday, which is the day that he rose from the dead. The early church started meeting on the Lord's day because he's Lord of the Sabbath. It's his to rule and reign, and the day is to be all about him. And because this day is so important to Christ, we should hold it in high regards as well. So in writing this sermon this past week, God's really been working on me in a lot of, a lot of ways. Um, but I really started getting convicted of something. So personally, I've always had a high view of church attendance, the high view of the ecclesia, the gathering of believers, the church. My, my, growing up in my family, we were super faithful at regularly attending church. And I've continued to have that fervor, fervor when I preach. I've quoted Hebrews 10.25 a bunch of times. 
here, I'm sure, not to, not to neglect meeting together. I've taught on the importance of believers regularly attending worship. But the true conviction I received was as I elevate the need for church attendance and church membership and things, I, I really miss the bigger picture. And, and I have told many people the following things. And these are true, so don't, don't mishear me. I've told people they need to come to church because hearing the wor- preached word is important, what we're doing now. I've told people that fellowship with other believers is important. Singing praises to God is important. And it's a command from God, which obviously makes it important, John 14, 15. But I must admit that this past week, something was revealed to me that I missed the main reason. And it's not because of how much we need church, although that is super important. We do need church, so I'm not negating those points. But the most important reason we need to attend church regularly is because God deserves our faithfulness to his bride. He deserves glory. And he desires us to faithfully attend church because he desires corporate worship from us. If you look at the book of Revelation, you're looking at the throne of God. What's happening? Corporate worship 24-7. Holy, holy, holy. Right? You know, you, you just see all of these hymns, all of these songs that are, that are being lifted up and exalted. And it's not just one person, it's multiple people. It's a whole choir of angelic beings that are saying these things. And he desires our corporate worship of him. And I know, brothers and sisters, you may look at me and say, hey, I do just fine not coming to church regularly. I mean, frankly, I listen to some podcast preachers that are so much better than you. I get a lot more out of it anyway. And I appreciate you all for not telling me that personally. That's, that's nice. Thanks. You know, I appreciate it. You can go ahead and tell somebody else. Just don't tell me. Um, you know, that's fine. You can tell me if you want to. But yeah, you, you may listen to worship that is so much better than what we bring up on Sunday morning. Sorry, Adam. You know, you, you, you may listen to some just incredible stuff, and you're like, dude, I praise and worship in my car a lot better than I do at church. I mean, it, it is amazing. Or you may be able to say, man, you do church in your car. It is, it is super wonderful. You don't need this body of believers. You don't need to come into a building to worship God or to gather with people to worship God. But my friends, Jesus demands and deserves our regular corporate worship. It's not about us. It's not about what we need. It's not about what, what, what we experience it's not about our, us at all, although, yes, those are true. You know, is it good to, should we get a good experience when we come to, to come to church? Yes, we should have a fellowship that we love and that we're loved on, that we love others. Those are all super truths, and, and, and you need to choose where you're going to be serving by the power of God, knowing that you're going to hear the Word of God preached, and, and, and that you're going to hear it not just fluffied, but you're going to hear it truthfully, that you're going to hear songs that are edifying and glorifying to the Lord, not to man, not Jesus' boyfriend music, as we were making some jokes this morning. It needs to be songs that actually raise up Christ and glorify Him. But you need to be a church, not because of your own experience or because of how much you need it, which is all true, don't get me wrong. But you need to be a church because Jesus deserves your faithfulness to His bride. And, and I need to just publicly repent for being too humanistic in my preaching at times. Because here's the thing. Yes, I love each one of you all. And, and I love people. And that is super important. We need to love people. But I need to love God more all the time. The first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so whenever I say, hey, you need to be at church because you need these things, well, you can answer me. I don't really need that. Ah, I'm good. I, I'm getting enough out of here. I'm getting enough over here. I don't really need 
Church, you have an answer, but you have no answer for God commanded you to be a church and worship him and lift up his name and exalt him because he deserves to hear your voice with other voices lifting up praise and worship to him. He deserves to have you in the same mind, listening to the same word and being changed by it together because Jesus said, where two or more gathered, I'll be there also. Now, do I know why he chose the, to do the church the way he did the church? Because are we messy, fellas? Yes. Are, are we messy, ladies? Yes, we are sinners, and we will sin against each other. And sometimes that bride's not so pretty. I'm sorry, Jesus. Sometimes your bride does not look so good. And sometimes your bride isn't really your bride, and they look like it, and they talk like it, and they say your name, but they're not truly your church. So you need to make sure you're a part of a church that is the true bride of Christ, that is a true church. But, but I pray that that when we think about church on Sunday morning, it's not about our experience. It's not about how good the worship is. It's not about even how good the message is, how, how entertaining Pastor Jonathan is. It's not about me. It, it's, not, and it's not about pleasing me. It's not about pleasing somebody else. It's not about how many seats are in the seats here. It, that, that's not what it's about. It's about coming to lift up and have the privilege to lift up God in worship, to lift up God through the singing of songs that are about him, to lift up God through the word. Because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's honor him as such. I know this message maybe ended a little harsher than it began. I, I know it started off a little lighter and it's ended kind of harshly, but I pray that we make every, every effort to attend regular services. And not because what we get out of it, not because it's the most enjoyable experience of your life and you know, everybody needs to come because of that. I mean, I pray that it is a great experience. I pray that we do get a ton out of the word. I pray that the words that I say are the words of God. I work hard to do that, and I pray hard to do that. But that it's for the glory of Christ, that we come because he is worthy. He is worthy of our time, of our commitment, of our love, of all honor and praise. And I just pray that if you don't see him as worthy of that, if you don't really see him as worthy of that, that you test your heart. Now, I'm not question your salvation. But, but I pray that you test your heart and you fi figure out, am I truly in Christ? Am I truly a new creation? Are my desires nothing more than to elevate and glorify the Son of God, the Messiah? Or do I really want to do what I want to do? You know, like I could find something better to be doing. I mean, it's really pretty out there. Golf may look pretty good for some of us. Be like, you know what, golf would be pretty nice. Or maybe you got something to do around the house. And, you know, you could be there doing that. Or maybe you could just got some more sleep. That's fun sometimes, right? But do we truly see Jesus as so much better than those things? So much better than everything else that he deserves our worship. And I pray that if you haven't done that, you're like, you know what, I, I started thinking and I'm not sure he's Lord over my life. I'm, I'm not sure he really is Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm not sure he's Lord over me. I'm not sure I've truly submitted to my life. And a lot of us, we have the right ideas. We, we know who Jesus is and maybe we have orthodox beliefs. We know he's the son of God. He died on the cross for our sins some 2,000 years ago. He, he rose from the dead. He now is the reign of the Father. It's only through him that we can be saved. Only one name, man, may be saved. But you know what? If you haven't submitted your full, entire life to him, you're not saved. The Bible says he, he has to be the Lord over your life. You have to be born again. You're a new creation. Your desires are different. Yes, you still have the flesh, and you have to fight that. You have to fight that over and over again. And there are some days where you're like, man, I'd rather do this than go to church. And there may be that, but, but, it, but when that happens, you repent, and you're like, God, I know that's wrong. I, I know I need to be 
worshiping you. Uh, not only do I need it, obviously that's true, but I know that you command it and desire it. You know, God, I, I know, man, I, I don't really want to give money. I'd rather go on a nicer vacation. I don't want to really give that tithe. Look what I could do if I didn't do the tithe. I could do this. Or, you know, uh, how about I give you just a, a couple dollars and then I'll go do what I want to do. Is he really the Lord over your entire life? Is he the Lord over your checkbook? Is he the Lord over your time? Is he the Lord over your energy? Is he the Lord over your interests and hobbies? Do you do things that are completely contrary to him? I just pray that you truly repent and you know that you know that you know that he is the Lord over your life. And if you don't, I would love to chat with you. I'd love to talk to you about what it really means to fully surrender. Now, does that mean you're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Does that mean you're going to be a sinner? Yes, you'll stay a sinner till you die, till this wretched body of flesh, is, as Paul says, is destroyed and you're raised to new life with him. If you are, I just pray, if you know, you look at yourself, you're like, I know I'm saved, but I've got some areas in my life where I just really need the Lord to work on more. I'd love to talk to you about that too. Because if we are truly his, he will continue to discipline us time and time again because he loves us. Jesus is worthy of all praise and honor. He is worthy of our submission. He is worthy of giving him our entire life. So Jesus Christ is Lord of the law, Lord of the loaves, and yes, he is Lord of the last day, the Sabbath. And above all, Jesus is Lord, period. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this has been a, a lighthearted and difficult message to preach. And Lord God, I pray that you've used this message to change us, not because of me and anything that I bring to the table, for I am a wretched man, and I have to repent myself, as I publicly repented, sometimes not exalting you as much as I should have, uh, even in an effort where I try to, and, and it's something I can't exalt you enough, Lord. None of us can. But God, may, may we always, may, may all of our heart's desires be to glorify you and to make much of you. May, may you help us to be selfless and quit looking at ourselves and even looking at others more than looking at you. Because as we look at you, you will help us to walk in step with you and to love others the way we need to love them. To love them with agape love, sacrificial love as you love us, you love us, you allow us to love others. So God, help us to be heavenward in orientation, heavenly minded, and uh, focused on you, God. Thank you that you are Lord. And I pray that you're Lord over everyone's life here. That they have voluntarily submitted their lives to you. That they bowed their knee to you and said, not my will, but your will be done. God, it is so amazing to walk with you, God. Is it easy? No. No, dying to our own pride and our own flesh is super difficult. Very hard. But God, is it wonderful. Lord, you pr you, you've promised love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as we see in Galatians 5, 23-23. You promise us all that. A peace that surpasses all understanding as we see in the book of Philippians. And God, you promise us eternal life. But God, that eternal life, it begins now. We're able to walk and talk with our Savior, with the God who created us. It's so amazing, Lord. So I pray that, that everyone here knows that they know that they know that they are in you. And if not, that they make it right immediately. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And I pray that, uh, that you are made much of at Crosspoint and with all those here. Amen.